That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Let's talk about the environment. Donald Trump meets with auto manufacturers in the morning. This is good. They, they, they bounce back. Okay, he gets them in. But what was the message? The message is we want you to build more plants in this country. And in order to help you do that, we're going to roll back the cafe standards. We're going to roll back any uh, regulations because Donald Trump says, well, I may be an environmentalist, but uh, here he is. I am, to a large extent, an environmentalist. I believe in it. But it's out of control. Environmentalism? Out of control? Hardly. I, I mean, lead, lead levels in Flint, Michigan, finally, the levels are down well enough that uh, the water, people still have to drink filtered water or bottled water, but the lead levels are down. But, I mean, when you look at clean air, clean water, you look at the, the threats from, uh, from climate change, environmentalism, out of control? Hardly. We've got some good, strong regulations in place now for the first time ever on new coal-fired power plants, but they haven't even kicked in yet. Uh, I mean, we're just, we're just in many ways, not taking environmentalism as seriously uh, as we did a few years ago, even under Richard Nixon when he created the Environmental Protection Act. But this is, this is Donald Trump. So telling auto manufacturers, yeah, we'll get rid of all those regulations. We'll get rid of those cafe standards. Cafe standards that the auto manufacturers actually embraced and endorsed and said this is good because this means we'll make better cars, cleaner cars, and we'll sell more cars. Donald Trump going back, putting that car in reverse. And then on the Keystone Pipeline and the Dakota Access Pipeline, I mean, how many times have we been over the Keystone Pipeline, intensely studied by the Obama administration? At one time, was on the fast track under the Obama administration, rejected by President Obama because the studies proved that this would be a disaster for the en environment, that at all it does is take the worst possible dirty sludge from Canada across the United States. Canada won't export it because they don't think it's worth it. We'll take it from Canada pipeline it across the United States to Texas and turn it and then export it. We'll do absolutely nothing to uh, help American consumer, consumers, as we saw, nothing to help the price of gas. And as far as jobs, 50, 50, 50 permanent jobs. It's a total environmental and, you know, labor uh, jobs disaster, Keystone Pipeline. Uh, President Obama rightfully rejected it, Donald Trump embracing it. Same thing with the Dakota Access, by the way, and it, and it continues our dependency on fossil fuels. Same thing with the Dakota Access Pipeline, which not only threatens that pristine lake under which this pipeline would go, but also would cross sacred Native American lands. Donald Trump doesn't care, rejects all the arguments against it, all the protests against it, uh, and signed an executive order to uh, put the United, put the U.S. Army, get the Army off the case and, 
and let the pipeline go forward. Uh, and also, in terms of environmental damage, if you work at the EPA, if you work at the Interior Department, if you work at the Agricultural Department, the USDA, you're not allowed to use social media to talk about climate change. I mean, what does this sound like? Doesn't it sound like, I mean, Putin's Russia, right? I mean, it's a gag rule. We haven't seen that in this country ever. A gag rule. These, these federal employees cannot even use the word climate change uh, in, on, on social media because it's against the, it's against the beliefs of the president of the United States who still believes that climate change is nothing but a hoax invented by the Chinese. And in fact, the, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, canceled a conference that they had scheduled to discuss the impact of climate change on human health. Even something as important as that, as basic as that, isn't it at least worth talking about and getting these scientists together? They can't do it under the policies now of the, uh, of the Trump administration. Uh, can't report on science, can't talk about science. I mean, this, this, is, this is a dictatorship. There was something really unsettling yesterday to watch in real time as <laughs> um, Badlands National Park. Yeah. They were tweeting right. about climate change. They were tweeting about heat records that we're seeing. And you know what? Within a couple of hours... Poof. Yeah, they were they shut were down. Gone. No, yeah. they were deleted. Oh, deleted. And, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. But, but like, they were like, told to, to have yes, to have that stuff out there and to watch it disappear in the middle of the day in broad daylight is is we should be very worried. Yeah, and then you've got a, a nominee for uh, EPA who's another climate denier who said yesterday, uh, "We need more study about climate change. We need more debate." Uh, uh, about it. Uh, this this is really, really reckless and really dangerous. And uh, it's uh, it's just going, you know, it's going backwards, backwards. Um, uh, Sean Spicer yesterday uh, at his press conference defended this ban, uh, <coughs> pardon me, this gag rule. Because they had inappropriately violated their own social media policies, there was guidance that was put out to the department to act in compliance with the rules that were set forth. Yeah. Uh, by the way, one other, I forgot to mention, one other action that's expected today is uh, Donald Trump tweeted out last night, threatening, could come as early as today, of sending the feds in. We don't know whether we're talking about federal agents, federal troops, or whatever having the feds move into Chicago because, he says, of the quote-unquote carnage in Chicago. The city can't handle it. We're going to send the feds in. This followed, by the way, just happened to follow up about 9 o'clock last night, right after Bill O'Reilly on Fox had a segment on talking about Chicago and the quote-unquote carnage uh, in Chicago. Use the same uh, phrasing and everything. Imagine, Yeah, same phrasing. So we know where Donald Trump is getting. We always know where he's getting his news and his outrage. But imagine, imagine, imagine if Barack Obama had said, I'm going to we're going to send federal troops into name a city. Right. Sure. Atlanta, Chicago or we're going to take it over with martial law, martial law. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is what Donald Trump is talking about. Chicago.
great friend, Congresswoman Sherry Bustos from Illinois' 17th Congressional District, uh, joining us in studio. Congresswoman, it's good to see you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, you, I know your district does not include the city of Chicago, but what do you think about the president announcing yesterday or tweeting out last evening that because of the carnage in Chicago, he's considering sending in federal troops. The way he characterizes Chicago or our America is just he sees things so differently than the vast majority of us. Um, you know, we've got an issue, but we ought to take a look at criminal background checks um, at a federal level. Sixty percent of the guns that come into Chicago are coming from from other states. We actually have decent gun laws. And now keep in mind, I'm a downstater. Yeah, um, yeah. I have a rural district where we have hunters every place I turn around. My oldest son was second in the nation in collegiate trap shooting. So <laughs> so I can talk about this in a way yeah. about um, that, hey, if you're a legal uh, law-abiding citizen and you want to hunt, that's, that's great. Um, but we've got to have reasonable legislation. This one-off uh, type of mentality through Donald Trump's tweets, whether it be about, um, you know, he's not going to be eating Oreos anymore or um, or he was going to send in f whatever the feds are into Chicago. Right. It's just, you know, we, let's look at the policies that can impact real change. And uh, we talked to just before we uh, went back on the air here about the the march on Washington. Um, and but it wasn't just on Washington there were marches all over the planet and all over this country, including Chicago. Right. Where where you participate? What what did you? What was the message of that march? Do you believe, and what was the impact of it? Well, my message uh, when I spoke, and I've never in my life spoken to two hundred and fifty thousand people, and that's how Whoa. many uh, ended up showing up. Oh, wow! It was well, it was a beautiful day. Yeah, this is January in Chicago. Typically, it's windy off of the off the lake. It's freezing cold. We'll have ice. Yeah. We'll have yeah. But yeah. but it was a beautiful day. Two hundred and fifty thousand peaceful amazing. demonstrators with some amazing signs <laughs> that would just make oh. you laugh and oh the signs uh, blew us away oh I, so funny. I love it. it was a wonderful feeling but um, my message was this is our moment in history um, I, I did go to the inauguration I was up on the platform uh, you know not you know just you know several feet from uh, the new president and witnessed that um, and then you know knew that I was going to be marching the next day but but uh, this is our moment in history and that we have to seize this. The fact that we had 250,000 people in Chicago and millions, millions of people um, all over the place. What are we going to do with that to harness it? My message also, every woman I meet who has an interest in getting involved, I say run for office um, or support a woman or, um, or, or people who stand for hope and change and, and making this right again. Right. Uh, that That's the real key. The people that, that I've talked to also who were there and our friends who, who came is how do you keep this movement going? Because it really is a, a movement. I mean, that's funny. Donald Trump says we've created the biggest movement ever in the history of mankind humankind. Maybe he did, but not the movement he thinks, right? Yeah. It was the people who were out on Saturday, not the people who were there on Friday. That's exactly right. How many more people were out demonstrating on Saturday in, in, in peaceful fashion uh, to represent change? And, 
you know, the vast majority, it was a, it was a women's march, but it was great to see uh, men being supportive as, as well. But we have a lot at stake. We have a lot at stake on our reproductive rights, um, making sure that we have opportunities for families to succeed and, you know, th- those who aspire to do better. Um, and, and, a, and so much of that is under attack right now. Right. And we saw that with uh, his executive order signed the very next day, reinstating the Mexico's so-called Mexico City policy. And we can expect the worst, I think, from his Supreme Court nominee that he has tweeted this morning he's going to announce next Thursday. Well, what I I do hope what results of this, I have a passion um, to uh, elect more women. I was the vice chairman of recruitment Hmm. um, at the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee uh, this last uh, session. And so I I have a passion to recruit women um, and people of color and younger people, all of these areas where we're underrepresented. and, you know, we still have less than 20 percent of, of members of Congress are, are women. And, and yet it's uh, we've demonstrated that what we stand for are family friendly policies and and, um, and and change that will help women and families succeed. Uh, I want to come back to uh, Pres- Pres- President Trump and Chicago for just a second, because, as you pointed out, he didn't say exactly what he meant when he said we, we might have the feds intervene. Could we talk about martial law in Chicago? Oh, my gosh. You know, first of all, um, you know, you've got uh, Republicans like to talk a lot about, you know, local control, uh, state rights, et cetera. Um, You know, we've got a governing structure in the city of Chicago. Um, Now, we've got some issues with gun violence in parts of the city, but we also have tremendous growth and, and vibrancy and um, a wonderful downtown where we get we have people from all over the world coming in. But, you know, Donald Trump doesn't need to tweet to the city of Chicago whatever he means by the feds coming in. Um, you know, like like any statesman, uh, let's sit down and, and have a conversation about what needs to happen and, and where the federal government can help with resources. But but this this tweeting is just the, is, is just such an irresponsible way to address any kind of policy. So we have seen um, just two days, really, uh, not counting the weekend. Unbelievable. Uh, of the Trump administration. What's your take on what you've seen so far in terms of his priorities? I think we are in for um, a really rough ride. Um, he is obsessed still about the size of the audience at his inauguration. I mean, how irrelevant is that in the scheme of things? Yeah, he's continuing like, these. Cares, right? Exactly. He's continuing these absurd tweets. I mean, his social media director is in a fight with me um, on Twitter. I mean, it, 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 I, I kid you not. I mean, we've got um, a lot of issues in our country. I was hoping that Donald Trump's message would have um, offered some healing in, in light of this terrible 18-month campaign that was so divisive. And, and you know, we've yet to see him pivot um, into a statesman. And, and I hope we will see that very soon. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. 
It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. There are um, several cabinet nominees who have not yet received a vote uh, and whose nomination could be in trouble. Uh, one of them is the president's nominee to be Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. Leading the charge against that nomination, our good friend, she leads the charge on almost every good progressive cause in the country, President Randy Weingarten of the American Federation of Teachers. Randy, good to see you. It's great to see you. I'm, uh, I'm, to, I'm wondering when I'm going to get, you know, an executive order that gags us. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, several federal agencies already have, as you know. Right? I mean, it's very, um, you know, let me, I know I was, I was supposed to talk about DeVos. But we're going let me, to. We're going to talk about anything. Yeah. But you, yeah, let's go. You were on fire Saturday. Thank you. At the march. Right. Yeah, at the well, march, women's march. Look, it's, you know. And it's interesting because Donald Trump, somebody finally told him to tweet the right thing about respecting protest. But in um, that's after he said, wait a second, I was elected. And that's after. And then the, this yeah. morning he's now going to, you know, go and do an investigation on voter fraud when there should really be an investigation about voter suppression. But this all gets to and sorry to kind of wear my 11th grade social study teacher hat for a second. But. <laughs> You know what we could all use it. What, by the what way. we he could. Yeah, what he we learned, could. and I think that what the 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 remorse you're seeing, and the reason that he has such low approval ratings right now, is that what we learned in the Obama administration, and what we took for granted, is basically anybody could say anything they wanted, mm -hmm. even evil, horrible, awful things. That is the key to democracy. Democracy requires people to have freedom. And and even if you say things that I, you know, hate, despise, democracy requires you to be able to do that. It's not unilateral. It's not the boss or the autocrat or the leader that can do it and nobody else can. Mm. It requires everybody to have that right. So I think of all the things that Trump has done in the last few days that is very chilling, it's not simply the alternative facts and, and a president lying um, with such impunity, but it's these gag rules. It's the suppression of information. That is a pillar of democracy, and that's very, very dangerous. And people have to be the check and balance, regardless of what you think, regardless if you're a conservative or a liberal. You have to be the check and balance, or we will lose our democracy like Russians have lost their democracy under Putin. Yeah, this is Russia. This is North Korea, it seems like. Right. I mean, yeah. And what we're talking about, of course, is that the White House has put out an edict that that uh, EPA or any of the federal agencies cannot use social media to talk about climate change. Right. Only the president can use social yes. media, but the people who actually do the work cannot use social cannot. media. Right. But anyway, that, so look, that's the... the and, and it starts on climate change. Right. But, you know, it can extend that to almost any issue. But right? I know, for example, there are grants that some mm -hmm. of our university folks have um, all throughout the country that are EPA um, uh, grants. These grants do things like helping combat asthma for children. So if we don't want to have huge health care bills later on, 
finding ways to combat asthma by reducing emissions levels on things like the Cross Bronx Expressway Mm. is really important. And the connective tissue here is what the president of the United States doesn't seem to understand. It's more about this kind of sense of a false reality as opposed to a democracy. Democracy is messy. But the reason that there are more Republicans in Congress right now or in state legislatures right now is because of the Tea Party and because of democracy. And so democracy has to go both ways. It is what keeps our it is what keeps our freedom. What impact on democracy? <laughs> no, uh, sorry. What, no, this is it. This is the point of the day. What point impact on democracy and on our credibility um, is caused by a president who just keeps repeating a lie that, and a press secretary that echoes a lie that four and a half million people voted illegally in the last election with zero evidence. I think what it is is that there this um, the, that that it is a terrible, um, misguided um, thing that he's doing. But my point is this. The check and balance has to be people, the will of the people. We are what keeps a democracy going. The, uh, the Constitution is a piece of paper. The social contract that I used to teach my students about the first day of 11th grade government class, we cede some of our power, our individual power, to have a government that protects us and that educates us. We don't cede our freedoms and ultimately, or we don't cede our, you know, we we don't cede our, our freedom to speak and we don't cede are the responsibility to expect a government to actually be transparent with all of us. Mm -hmm. And the lying of the government, we've never seen this before in our democracy, but it is not about complaining. It is about being the check and balance. We know that's true now. We have to support and protect a free media, regardless of what it says, and we have to actually be like the Women's March was. There's never been a protest that large ever in the United States. That is the check and balance of democracy. And so, in some ways, citizens all across the country are going to have to be that check and balance because that is the only thing that when when a president doesn't want to take the mm-hmm. responsibility that he we can't say she yet, but he or she is sworn <laughs> right. to take, then the check and balance is the people. Right. Now, we saw, I, I believe, <laughs> on Saturday that the people are ready for, the, for that yeah. role. We saw it not just here in Washington where you and I were, but all across the country. Sherry Bustos was here from Illinois earlier. 250,000 people showed up in Chicago. How do we keep that energy and that you know, that, that movement going, well, if you will. Well, the most important way, and I know it's far away, is Election Day. The most important way is Election Day. But what happens 2018, is... 2018, Well, right? there Not are 20, lots of elections yeah. in 2017 so, uh, for a school you, board, right? for city council, for there's two governor elections. Virginia that's, and New that, Jersey. That's yep. the most important way. But I think that there are a lot of campaigns that one can do to actually move and change policy. One to try to keep the freedoms we have. I mean, I'm, I'm not, there's, there's a reason that Donald Trump is president, and that is because people felt that, you know, that, 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 or 
that the jobs that we need in America um, were not in America. Good paying jobs. Things that you and I have talked about how many times on this show, and you right. probably talk about every single day. This is what Democrats, since Franklin Roosevelt, have championed over and over and over again. And what happened is that more people saw Trump as a mm-hmm. champion for that than, than, than Hillary. But, but you have to look at everything he does or everything that's done in the states through, I think, two lenses. Not who is doing it, but what is happening. Are we creating an economy that works for all? How are we addressing automation, which is, in Mm. this generation, the real culprit for job loss? Not just globalization, not just deindustrialization, but if you set up a new manufacturing plant and you only have five people working because everything else is robots, that's not going to help help create a living wage for Americans throughout the country. Second, and this goes, you know, how do we create our free how do we keep our freedoms because that is the hallmark of america to keep freedoms as we focus on opportunity opportunity and justice go hand in hand they are not against each other they go hand in hand a country that is inclusive and tolerant is a country that grows in in the 21st century and in some ways that gets to betsy devos because devos essentially look she proved at her hearing and I'm glad the Democrats asked for more time because she didn't answer the questions. Mm-hmm. But And maybe she would get more prepared. But she proved at her hearing how unqualified and how, frankly, ill-prepared she was. Because either she didn't want to answer the questions or she didn't know how to answer the questions. And what we know from her experience <laughs> in Michigan, and Mike, Michael Moore said this too, look, he's Mr. Michigan, is that she's actually hurt students' outcomes. She's hurt students in Michigan, and not just the students that go to public schools, which she is overtly hostile to, but students who go to the places that she has actually even, even advocated. private or charter you know, schools, and, right? And yeah. what she's done is she's advocated in this way the Ma- Massachusetts Charter School Association. Many charter school advocates, including Cora Booker, have, have said Ixnay to Betsy DeVos, have said no to Betsy DeVos because what she's advocated for is profit over children. Hmm. So she uses the idea of choice. The choice is the school's choice, not the parent's choice. But one more time, she uses an argument that tries to get to grievance to actually push an agenda, and her agenda is for-profit charter schools, for-profit Uh, mechanisms that destabilize, defund public education. And on the for-profit schools, 84% of the for-profit charters, or 84% of the the kids in charters in Detroit um, are under proficiency in math, and 80% of the kids in charters in English are under proficiency. Yes, 80% of the Mm. charters in, Mm. in Michigan are for profit. So what I'm saying is, don't tell us there's been 25 years of experience. If if something can work better than what we're doing, we better do it. I mean, Shanker had this view that let's use charters as an incubator. And 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 the the and I run a charter in New York City, a not-for-profit charter that ha- is unionized that has a hundred percent graduation rate. Mm. So you know you need to have ideas that you can bring to the public schools that actually will help make every neighborhood school a great school to make sure that parents have a great neighborhood school as a viable choice. But what she is, is overtly hostile to that side. She's overtly hostile to public. 
and wants to have a private system and a system of religious schools and a system that does uh, virtual schools like K-12 Inc. has done miserably and on and on. That's why we're opposed. I don't think maybe the American people understand. That's why I'm so glad to be able to come in today that that has been. She doesn't just believe that, right? I mean, this has been her career yes. where she has put her energy and her money leading this effort. Absolutely. Right? So when somebody – so it's not as if you have someone who has never done anything on education. And, you know, if you had some – I mean, I'd, I'd still think why would a president of the United States pick someone who's never done anything in terms of education? But you have someone who's actually worked for 20 Five years trying to destabilize public education. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. This is not. This is something that you know everybody focused on the Grizzlies in Montana yeah, as a rationale yeah. for not wanting not wanting to stop guns in schools and 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 thinking about saying that to Chris Murphy, who 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 represented <laughs> the, 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 the 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 I mean I represent the Newtown school you know on the labor side we represent the Newtown school system, but you think about. You would actually say that to him, but but um, but but think about this. She has fought for um, testing as the basis of teacher evaluation. It's part of her mantra. She's fought for that. She thinks that there should be that kind of accountability, regardless of whether you know it works, it doesn't work. Let's put that aside for a second. She's fought for that. Um, Senator Kane asked her. Well, would you have the same kind of accountability standards in charters or anybody who got federal money as you have in public schools? Mm. She wouldn't answer it. Number two, Senator Franken said, well, you know, what about and talked about growth and proficiency? Now, I don't expect anybody in the outside world to understand what growth and proficiency is. But you have fought for testing as the basis of teacher evaluation. Every teacher knows that if you are evaluated based upon testing, you're going to get an algorithm ba- with your growth, with your kids' growth scores, to see if your kids have gotten to proficiency. It's kind of like built into if the, yeah. a doctor didn't know what a stethoscope was. <laughs> I mean, it kind of yeah, is. Yeah. It was so so, and and this is and and and, and this, what was her response? She didn't know. She the didn't difference. know the difference. And then to say to Maggie Hassan, Blank stare. who huh? has a child who has a disability, and she prefaced her question that way. And, and, and Betsy DeVos doesn't know what the IDEA is. The law from 30 years ago that Republicans and Democrats both like, that has actually helped parents who have kids with children's special needs to say, you have to public schools. Private schools don't have to do it. Charters should, but don't do it. You have to public schools make sure my child has a chance of success. And she doesn't even know that that's a federal law. Uh, It's a rocky time, rocky road for the um, media covering. uh, uh, It was for the media covering Donald Trump during the campaign and now for covering Donald Trump at the White House. Uh, Among them, Cameron Joseph. Washington Bureau Chief for the New York Daily News. Hey, Cameron, good to see you. Always nice to see you. Happy New Year. Thanks for coming in today. So now we're going to have a – let's just start on this. Before we get to Trump's tweet this morning about this massive investigation into voter fraud, this is his follow-up to his 
um, just um, insistence that he would have won the popular vote. He keeps saying this over and over again. If only uh, four to five million people now who are here illegally had not voted with zero evidence to back it up. It's just astounding. I, I, I've never seen anything like this in politics before. The dude won. Yeah, like right. I, I mean, like if if he, when he was doing it during the campaign and he was setting up these conspiracy theories, rigged, rigged the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, like okay, like that at least has a purpose to it. It dishonest, inaccurate, troubling, damaging to democracy, but it has a purpose, a self-serving purpose. This one, I don't actually understand what he's doing, and now he's president, and so it just makes it so much more concerning and damaging. Uh, there's no evidence to this, like full stop, hard stop. Zero evidence that widespread voter fraud has occurred in this election or any recent election in the U.S. He's talking about three to five million votes, which would require a conspiracy of national proportions with multiple leaders in multiple states, well-coordinated. Don't you think if they had that type of organization, they might have, you know, just spent a little money in Michigan and Wisconsin to win this thing? So, I mean, it's just baffling and stunning to me. I have a theory, by the way, if I could just play devil's avocado for a moment. I do honestly think that this might not totally be Trump. I think that the end goal here is going to be to make voting harder. I really do think that's the goal. And I think that if Rubio had won or if Cruz had won, we would have ended up with the same sort of thing. This is just Trump's way of getting to that making voting harder. That, he knows See, that's how he wins again. I actually think uh, what they did is they gave breath to the lie on this. I think that it's the exact mm, opposite oh, of that. Wow, I think okay. that I Republicans yeah. for years have been talking about voter fraud as a way to put in voter ID laws, which honestly are unnecessary. And the only purpose of them, uh, yeah, occasionally there's in-person voting fraud, but very rare. It's, it, the voting frauds they found that have been more than you know, one person have been by mail. And what they're trying to do is in-person voting fraud with... These actual, you know, by tight by tightening things up at the ballot box, by making it harder for mostly Democrats to vote, and that has been their their goal. And if you look at the North Carolina case, was their actual stated goal in private meetings that have leaked out now, uh, and in Texas, which is working its way through the courts now too. I think by elevating this to the level of absurdity that mm. Donald Trump has, yeah. I think he has made a lot more people pay attention to this and realize, and I think the end result of this is not going to be, oh, well, we really need voter ID in a bunch of states. It's going to be, there is no basis for voter ID laws. And I think this actually is going to hurt them, if not in the public, in the courts. Well, here's what I find uh, as troubling, if not more troubling, than the fact that Donald Trump repeats this lie, is that the press secretary does. The press secretary's job, I don't think, is to repeat, defend, lies, outright lies of the president of the United States. And Sean Spencer has done it now, two, Spicer, two days in a row, again, yeah. with zero evidence I to think support it, citing studies that don't exist. Spicer is in a very tough position, and I'm not going to defend him because he took this job. I've worked with him for years. He has always been a fairly straight shooter, a fairly relatively honest guy by the standards of, of professional <laughs> flax and, yeah. and, and, you know, yeah. Democrat and Republican. I've worked with him well over the years. Um, even during the campaign, I didn't have that much direct contact with him during the campaign. He was still a fairly reasonable guy to work with. I think he's been put in this position by a president who makes things up. And honestly, I don't. If, if he hadn't opted into taking this job, I'd feel sorry for him because this is not something that he has control over. Like, like what's a bigger deal? A, a you know, a, a random staffer 
lying or the president of the United States lying. And he's put in this position where Trump says things that are easily disproven, inaccurate, and then he's thrown – and Trump isn't – I mean, I guess he's sitting down for an interview tonight, but he isn't really dealing with the press directly. He's tweeting and then doing whatever he wants. Spicer is in front of the cameras for an hour, and he actually gets pressed on these things. And he has to defend – I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if you noticed yesterday. He didn't say he believed this. Mm. He oh, said no, the president oh, no. believes yeah. this. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, he's in this position where it's a lose-lose because either he's not backing what his boss says and – or or he's he's going, defending the indefensible. And frankly, we saw on Saturday, both happened to him. He yeah. said things that were, were factually inaccurate, got himself into a huge amount of trouble, got memes generated about him. He was making, getting made fun of everywhere. Uh, set off the Kellyanne uh, interview on Sunday, which was, was a, a basically an unmitigated disaster for another very uh, talented flack, whatever you think about her. Um, and... It, it's because it's coming from the top. This is this is the head, you know, the head of the snake. You can't work for somebody who makes stuff up and then somehow be truthful and still be doing your job. So Spicer's you know, job must, is to represent what the, I say, the president I, says. I, I, I don't want to exaggerate. It. I have never been offered the job of press secretary, but I, I remember when Robert Gibbs was stepping down, you know, and somebody in the press corps, uh, one of the se- one of the officers in the press corps. Uh, came to me and said, "You know, you ought to that I should put myself forward because they needed somebody who would." Said some journalism experience, but also a tr- Democrat. They could throw the whole thing up. I just said I could never do that job because I could never go out there and defend policies that I didn't believe in. Now, even with the policies, there's a certain spin you can say why this is why we need to send more troops to Iraq, right? right. But I wasn't. That was short of actually going out there and defending outright things that you know are outright lies. Yeah. That, I don't know how you can have any self-respect and do that. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Okay, let's start with this. It's not the job of the President of the United States to tell lies, and it's not the job of the press secretary to defend and to repeat those lies. But that's exactly what's happening at the Donald Trump White House, meeting with congressional leaders on Monday evening. Trump once again insisted that he would have won the popular vote if only three to five million people hadn't, who were here illegally hadn't voted for Hillary Clinton. And at yesterday's briefing, Spicer defended that statement, saying that's what the president believes but neither he nor Trump offered any evidence to back them up. Instead, Spicer only cited a Pew study from 2008, he said, which showed that 14% of the people who voted in that election did so illegally. They were non-citizens. Here's the problem. There was no Pew study in 2008. A 2012 Pew study did say that the voter rolls have to be cleaned up by the states, but said nothing about voter fraud. And a 2014 study by another organization, which reported that 14% of people did vote illegally, was later refuted and rejected by its very authors who said they got it all wrong. In other words, there is zero evidence to back up Donald Trump's claim, which is why both Speaker Paul Ryan and Senator Lindsey Graham have told Donald Trump he ought to just shut up and stop talking about it. After all, 
he won the election. But Donald Trump won't stop talking about it for two reasons. Number one, because he refuses to admit that he lost the popular vote. His, his ego is too big, too monumental to ever admit that. And number two, because Donald Trump is a pathological liar. He doesn't know how to tell the truth. This is The Bill Press Show.